Welcome to the Got Academy podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Got Academy podcast. I'm Gil Kidron, and I'm here with Mr. Benji Cook. Hello, Benji. Hello, everybody. Hey, so Benji, you've been uh, on a video once. Yes. Education through Harry Potter. Yes, right. And you're, among other things, a political activist. That's right, here in Israel. Yep. And you're also an American. That's right. So I'm a dual Israeli and U.S. citizen, so I... vote in both elections. I also have to pay taxes in both countries, so don't think it's that great. And do you have a dual uh, loyalty also? Ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Off the bat, we got started. <laughs> I can ask the question. Uh, no, sure. Um, you live I, in Israel, you live in Tel Aviv. I, I live in Israel, and uh, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the old, st- old Americans stand by no taxation without representation holds true, so because I contribute to both countries, I feel very comfortable voting and deciding how, you know, politics should work there or affecting yeah. them. Yeah, and I think that every Israeli should have a right to vote uh, in the American elections because it directly affects uh, what's happening here because uh, uh, America is a global empire. Right. I, I think anyone in the world would, might want to say yes. that. <laughs> so here we want to talk about how Israel has become an issue not only in American politics, in the partisan politics, but also in the democratic primaries that started February 3rd, I think. It's the Iowa caucus. Yeah. And each oh, no. of the democratic uh, candidates has a specific take on the Israeli-Palestinian issue and is uh, pushing specific policy, trying to differentiate themselves. We want to cut a little bit through the bullshit, give a realistic take on what things actually mean for us and, of course, in the internal politics, uh, Jewish politics, whatever, APAC, J Street and stuff. Right, yeah, sure. And other constituencies. Yeah, I think it's just really interesting how... larger role a small country like Israel plays in American politics. So yeah, I think uh, Israel and the Middle East politics in general, but also specifically Israel, have always played an outsized role in American politics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really interesting. Now we're wrapped up in the Democratic primary, and that's what we're talking about today. But really, the, uh, is, 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 the position people take on Israel and uh, Palestinians, by extension of that, um, has really changed a lot in Washington. over the past four or five years. So I think yeah. the Democratic po- primary we're seeing is part of a larger trend, and a lot of the divisions and breaks yes. we're seeing now are maybe small cracks that might yeah. turn into larger gulfs as yeah. uh, we get into this decade. Some realignments. I can tell you right now, because I have been there with Israeli officials going back more than 25 years, that they do not seek this kind of attacks. They do not invite rockets raining down on their towns and villages. They do not believe that there should be a constant incitement by Hamas, aided and abetted by Iran, against Israel. I don't think that anybody would suggest that Israel invites or welcomes missiles Uh, flying into their country. That is not the issue. And you evaded the answer. You evaded the question. The question is not does Israel have a right to respond, not does Israel have a right to go after terrorists and destroy terrorism. That's not the debate. Was their response disproportionate? I believe that it was. You have not answered that. And Bernie Sanders laid out Pretty clearly a position I have not seen any politician lay out on national stage ever, which is to say, look, there is a conflict, and really our sympathies have to be a heck of a lot more with the Palestinians. They are poor, they need our help, I am not always with Netanyahu. I don't know if it will help him, I can see an argument that will massively help him. I can see an argument that will massively hurt him, but it was very interesting, it was very bold, it was very different. Some realignments with the certain demographics, uh, getting more power, more of a say, in uh, foreign policy as well. Yep. And so the first thing that I want to lay out before we start, and we, uh, we'll go uh, candidate by candidate, is that it, it annoys me very much just uh, how shallow most of the commentary and analysis about uh, the situation is. It's just like the fact that people say Israel as if it's one um, uh, monolith entity 
while if you if you look to Brexit, sure. everybody knows there are two sides to the Brexit uh, argument, and this is one side, and this is the other side, and you won't say uh, the British uh, okay, you could say they voted for Brexit, but it's not right. all of them. You know that there are that there are a lot of people, approximately half, who were against it. Right. But here people say Israel is a force for good. Amy Klobuchar said, a beacon of democracy in the Middle East. Right. What the fuck does that mean? So, this is, ju- this is the, just the bullshitest bullshit, bullshit ever. So, so what you're saying is the Palestinians don't get much representation in American political discourse. And that or any. progressive Israelis and left-wing Israeli thinking doesn't have the same starting point as the basic right-wing view that we are good. It doesn't matter what we do who is in charge, who is the prime minister, what's the policy, right. what they're doing. It's just now, it's like, I'm digressing a little bit, but like, like, no, sure. like Pete Buttigieg after the last skirmish in Gaza, he said that Hamas is wrong to fire rockets, obviously, right. because these rockets, they impede the, the, the going back to negotiations and achieving peace. Right. What, what the fuck are you talking about? Who's having any negotiations? Do you right. think the rockets that they fired now, today, this is the problem? Right. Yeah, so uh, obviously, yes, there's a large lack of nuance because I think when American politicians get asked a question about Israel, they need to answer to two audiences at least. And we'll get into it, but maybe some of the candidates are actually answering the question. But you have two demographically maybe not that large groups in the United States, but in terms of politics and how much they donate to the political process, huge influence, which is the evangelicals Mm -hmm. and the small but powerful cadre of rich Republicans, Jews, for example, Sheldon Adelson being one of them. He's affecting affecting, uh, Israeli policy and strategic geopolitical situation. Right. So their influence so long has kind of maybe even pushed some of the candidates in the Democratic Party to... Yeah, basically use terms like that. Because, so, again, talking about this larger change, really, for the longest time, Israel, or being pro-Israel, and we can unpack that term in a second, but being pro-Israel was a non-partisan issue. It was clear-cut, and there was very few people, certainly no one likes as outspoken as maybe perhaps Elon Omar and other members of Congress have ever been about Israel. Yeah. I mean, Jesse Jackson, I think, said a few things in the 90s and stuff, but nothing as big as... Yeah, yeah. That also obviously has to do with uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu firmly aligning himself with Donald Trump, reviled and hated by all left-wingers and Democrats. A- absolutely. I would, I would remind before Donald Trump, well, let's put it this way, when Donald Trump was still a botho uh, and Obama was president, <laughs> um, yeah. Netanyahu spoke in front of a Republican Congress and... and I don't think any foreign leader has ever... Yeah. Spoken against the administration's policies. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I don't think the Democratic Party has ever been humili- humiliated like that by any foreign leader. Like, that doesn't even come close. And this is before Trump. This is before Trump. And this is before, you know, the elephant, a bull in a china shop, uh, Donald Trump. So, so this is a good segue to the person that was uh, Mr. Obama's uh, vice president. Joe yes, Biden, sure. currently leading in the national polls, still frontrunner, favorite. Da, 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 da. There's been a lot of talk in Washington over the last several years about the dysfunction and the relationship between President Obama and the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Listen to Vice President Joe Biden here yesterday. He's at an event near D.C., a Jewish Federation event, where he talks about, I've had some differences with Bibi, but he's my pal. I signed a picture for Bibi a long time ago. I have a bad habit. Of, no one ever doubts I mean what I say. Sometimes I say all that I mean, though. And um, and uh, I signed a picture a long time for Bibi. He's been a friend for over 30 years. I said, Bibi, I don't agree with the damn thing you say, but I love you. Um, but we really are good friends. So he is what is generically called pro-Israel, staunchly pro-Israel. He did have uh, a few headbutt, uh, headbutts, whatever, uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, with Israel. Remember, like 10 years ago, he came in, and just the same day that he came in, they announced new settlements, and he left. Yeah. And he was trying to sometimes be whatever the bad cop, but mostly he had to be the good cop to, Obam- to Obama's uh, bad cop. Sure. And just to uh, strengthen that, I mean, Joe Biden was on Senate Foreign Relations Committee for, I think, like, 
more than 20 years. It, I think it could, could be close to 40 even. Yeah. He was a blanking member of Senate Foreign Relations for a very, very long time. So if you want to look for support from Israel going back into the 90s or 80s, unquestionable, yeah. you'll, you'll find it there too. There's no solution for Israel other than a two-state solution. It does not exist. It's not possible to have a Jewish state in the Middle East without there being a two-state solution. And he has played to all the same fears and all the prejudices that exist that in, in this country and in Israel. Bibi Netanyahu and I know one another well. He knows that I think what he's doing is outrageous. What we do is we have to put pressure constantly on the Israelis to move to a two-state solution, not withdraw physical aid from them in terms of their security. And so he holds like, you know, he pays his dues. He says he's for the two-state solution. He's against the expansion of settlements. He wouldn't have moved the, the American embassy to Jerusalem. But he won't move it back. But he won't move it back. He won't uh, leverage uh, aid. He said it's a horrible uh, and preposterous idea to leverage the American aid to change uh, the government, uh, the Israeli government's policies. And basically, he doesn't say anything about what he will do to achieve the, to achieve the, the, the vision of the two-state solution. How, you as an Israeli-American, you, right. you, you try to imagine him as a, as a president. Yeah. What do you see? Um, again, and I think this is what he's offering in the larger sense of his campaign, I see a continuation of the Obama administration's policies. Trying to talk as tough as possible, but n always stopping short of any actual change, whether it's budgetary aid, regulation. Uh, I think Obama, right, in the last few months, he let a UN yeah. vote go through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I think that said, ooh, Israel, you were bad. Right, right. And that was the strongest. I mean, I do want to... No, he did freeze the settlement building like at first. But right, right. he didn't understand the way the game that Bibi was playing, Bibi was playing the long game. And okay, maybe this is also something that I can, uh, and I guess you agree with me. Netanyahu does not want peace with the Palestinians. It's not something that he yearns for. It's not in his vision. He sees a different solution to this problem, which doesn't include a Palestinian state. He might say that in some conditions, but if you follow politics close in Israel, you know that he just will put uh, uh, IEDs along the way in order to make sure that, the, 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 any negotiation cannot come into fruition. Yeah, I think the only coherent, coherent thing you can, and consistent thing about Netanyahu you can say is that his general approach to everything is tomorrow. And specifically with even saying yes, Palestinian state, no Palestinian state, he'll say tomorrow, which has been overall Israel's policy for the past 50 years. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll handle it tomorrow. We had some, like with uh, Rabin, it was, it was like maybe yeah, right. a few hours, not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. There, to move the ball. there, there have been efforts, and again, not the, there have been great successes with Egypt and uh, Jordan. In Jordan, which obviously are sovereign nations to begin with, and very different than the Palestinian issue. Yeah, so anyway, so getting back to Biden, I just think um, it would be the same kind of tough talk um, and yeah. not much actual action. Again, because... Uh, he probably can't. He doesn't have the support. I mean, the, amongst... Yeah, because his constituency is made up also of uh, donors and people who don't want to rock the boat. And if you start to do go crazy on the Israeli-Palestinian issue, I don't know who you're going to annoy and aggravate. Yep, absolutely. I, they'll just pivot to a different issue and, and not really comment yeah. on it. Yeah. So anything that he that he says, just like uh, taking with a with a grain of salt, yeah, won't uh, try to do anything uh, anything serious. And I feel that this, honestly, the way that I see the world and the situation here with the Palestinians, it, like his pro-Israel ostensibly policy, will go against my own interests because he will uh, help the people who want to prolong the status quo achieve just that. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, even John Kelly said sometimes a, a, a loving parent needs to be a little tough or something like that. It's not an exact quote. Yeah. And this is John Kelly in, in 04 or so I think saying this. They don't understand how precocious democracy is in Israel today, especially, but also it's always been not great democracy. Yeah. And even the U.S. State Department can sometimes oopsie and wank uh, the uh, Israel on, you know, freedom of the press indexes and stuff like that as not great. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Okay. Beacon of democracy, I don't know. Yeah, beacon. Okay, so let, let's pivot to the polar opposite, the guy on the other side of the spectrum, our friend, the friend of the show, hero, <laughs> hero to all, <laughs> Bernard Sanders. Yeah, sure. So you're a big also, okay, we want... Yeah, yeah, I, I have no problem saying I'm going to be voting for Bernie. Bernie I'm a member of the Dems, I can vote in this thing. We must understand that right now in Israel, we have leadership under Netanyahu, who has recently, as you know, been indicted for bribery, who, in my view, is a racist. What we need is a level playing field in terms of the Middle East, which addresses the terrible crisis in Gaza, where 60 or 70 percent of the young people are unemployed. So what my foreign policy will be about is human rights, is democracy, is bringing people together in a peaceful way, trying to negotiate agreements, not endless wars with trillions of dollars of expenses. Thank you, Senator. So how do you see uh, a Bernie Sanders presidency with regards to Israel and... Uh... Bernie brings to this issue what he brings to all, all others, which is his high level of integrity, his actual realization of what the facts actually are, uh, and a willingness to boldly break with tradition. On... Sometimes on both sides of his own party. Yeah, sure. No question. Uh, it, I, I think Bonnie's Jewishness represents um, what used to be, and maybe not no longer is, but definitely used to be mainstream Jewish thought in the United States. I mean, if you look at it, I think 70, 80% of Jews supported Martin Luther King. Mm. Celebrated his birthday this week. Um, and... Uh, march with him and stuff like that. So the pictures of Bernie get, being arrested in Chicago yeah. in the 60s uh, were common amongst uh, Jews. They, yeah. they, they, they saw it. And you've seen like, the Jewish gatherings now, for example, protesting ICE and the internment camps on the border and things like that with signs, with strong messages like never again. And really, yeah. But so, on the other side, now. I mean, I haven't, this is why I'm saying I'm reluctant to comment because I haven't seen recent numbers. But Ben Shapiro does not represent American yeah. Jews. He just doesn't. Yeah. Most people, especially when they're talking about their values, if Ben Shapiro talks about his values or if Bernie Sanders talks about his values, I mean, not even, not even politics, just basic yeah. human values, most American Jews see yeah. the world the way Bernie Sanders sees it. Yeah. And he just takes those values and applies them to right. the situation as well. Right. And, 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 and why, why he can so elegantly say, listen, no one's getting rid of Israel. No one wants to annihilate you or throw you into the sea. But there is a basic human equality that all of us share as, you know, made in the image of God, as the Bible says. And he says, and that's my Jewishness. And he says, it's, it's very simple. You can't maintain, it's not either or. You don't, it doesn't mean that the only way to achieve uh, Jewish security and a d d healthy democratic Israel absolutely means yeah. the creation of a Palestinian state, which again, just gives insight into the problem that mm, I think some candidates lack as well. And, and, and Bernie, he now, you know, Elizabeth Warren also a little bit uh, is uh, emulating his, uh, his line, but he's spoken very harshly against uh, Netanyahu and against the Israeli government and has made the differentiation between the government and Israel as a concept that uh, the, the does not uh, even exist. And I trust that Bernie Sanders, this issue will be important enough for him to push forward and try to get a peace uh, agreement here. And honestly, it's kind of the only positive scenario that I can imagine and envision for the future here, something good actually happening in the next uh, four years is only with him as president. Uh, absolutely. And I think that... The I, and I, I've, I have to say, uh, I think Warren's moved a lot on this issue as well. But just one more thing about Bernie before we move on is that I bet you he'd be the first U.S. president to visit, as president, Ramallah before Jerusalem or the Gaza Strip before Jerusalem. And that's it, it depends who will be prime minister. Sure. Absolutely. If Bibi is not prime minister and if it's uh, Benny Gantz, he the center. And he first, anyway, this is Bernie you're talking about. This is the guy who goes to Flint. Before he goes to L.A., you know. Okay. You called it. Let's see. Let's see.
Well, so why are you so interested in, uh, in Warren's uh, uh, positions uh, vis-a-vis Israel? Well, I mean, no one will argue with the fact that Warren is a progressive, but probably slightly to the right on Bernie, and we'll get into the specific issues exactly well. I mean, obviously, on economic policy, he says, I'm a socialist, she says, I'm a capitalist. So they're obviously diff- not, they don't have the same issues. But here, um, I actually have to commend, I mean, every time Netanyahu in the past year has done something really out, yeah. uh, outwardly crazy in our democracy. She's spoken up about it um, as a U.S. senator. And again, I don't know how many senators did that. Four? Because she's running for president. And she's consistent? I don't trust her on that. Um, She wants to be just a little bit to the right of Bernie Sanders. That's what she wants. But but, but listen, if, if, if beforehand she was kind of with the most of the establishment Democrats and just kind of pro-Israel no matter what, and now she's openly more critical because she wants to run for president, I got to say, I don't have a problem with that. I think, on the, on the other hand, it strengthens the argument that the issue is moving within the party yeah. and she could no longer ignore that. If yeah. she but I don't trust her if she gets into power that she will actually do something to change the situation. You have to use so much political capital and you have, this has to be something that is important for you. You remember Clinton uh, in his uh, waning sure. years, like uh, put him, some say that he even put himself too much uh, right. into the negotiations, whatever, that's to be discussed and uh, that's fine. Yeah. But that was important for him. It was important somewhat for Obama, but it's, uh, I can't see it being uh, important at all for Elizabeth Warren. Why would she get into that too much and tr- because you have to fight with with someone here with everybody in order to get something moving I I'll tell you where I think it would be a big difference because either the election in Israel starts this off or the election in the United States starts this off but I really hope that this wave of far-right authoritarianism Trump Orban Netanyahu Bolinsnaro uh, Salvini, uh, the list goes on, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Duterte. Um, Modi. Modi. Absolutely, God. Horrible it's happening horrible. there. Um, pushing back the wave. Warren won't be, she won't stand next to all those people we just mentioned right. and take a nice picture. And but Biden might? I don't know, but I'm saying Warren, with regards, because she's outspoken against Netanyahu, and she basically Warren said that Trump is corrupt. And his buddies are Orban yeah. and Netanyahu and other things. And she's repeated this yeah. a lot of times. And they're also corrupt. And this is part of the corruption. Yeah. So, again, yes, maybe if the prime minister changes, she'll change her position. But uh, I think that's, I think just that type of messaging and not only the United States, but Europe, other nations around the world, start seeing Israel not as a liberal democracy, but as uh, like Modi's an illiberal something, the way Modi's India is or Urban's Hungary is, that changes things. I mean, you, I don't know, do Israeli startups get a lot of venture funding from uh, Europe, you know, if, if the feeling around Israel changes? I mean, when South Africa happened, it happened, it took a, a while, but when the ball got rolling, it happened very quickly. Because it's important to say that no matter who is in power here, and with the Palestinians. It doesn't matter who's in power here. There's very little appetite to risk something with negotiations. You, you, need, you will need to push both sides, three sides, five sides, whatever. You have to pressure them in order to do something that is against the political interest. Because it's very safe politically to say, we want peace, we are good, they are bad. We're trying, but look at this, what they're doing. Yep. It's very easy. It's very hard to say, listen, we know it's hard, but in the long term we will see the fruits of our labor and we have to understand that there will be obstacles, but we will have to... This is it's a very tough argument to, to say. It's a tougher argument to say. Yeah, I, I think, again, just, I think in Israel, Israel, Israeli policy isn't going to change much, no matter who's in power, unless a big shift happens here, which might happen in the next 15 or 20 years. It's possible. Okay, but you don't think in the next elections, if it's not a Likud uh, government? I don't think it changes anything. Uh, Immediately on the ground? Even if the settlers are not in the government, or outside the government? Yeah, I don't think... uh, Again, are we pulling out of uh, the West Bank? Are we uh, letting the Palestinians build a embassy or, or... recognizing Jerusalem as their capital as well? Are we allowing humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza? I, I don't, 
I don't know what will happen here in the government, but I don't see that changing unless uh, our stone parent, the United States, forces us to. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's where you do worry about um, middle-of-the-road answers. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because it basically means status quo. Exactly. Because the status quo is very entrenched. It's hard to move. So you have Biden on the, like the most pro-Israel, for lack of a better word, right now term. On one side, you have Bernie. Then you pro have status quo. Pro status quo and Bernie pro change. And Warren is a little bit to the right uh, of Bernie. And Pete Buttigieg is trying to be a little bit to the left of uh, of Biden, saying insinuating that he might leverage the the aid to do something. And I don't trust, don't believe anything that he says. Yeah. As Israel's most powerful and most reliable ally, the United States has the opportunity to shape a more constructive path with the tough and honest guidance that friendship and fairness require. The current state of affairs cannot endure. The pressure of history and the mathematics of demography mean that well before 2054, Israelis and Palestinians will have come to see either peace or catastrophe. A two-state solution that achieves legitimate Palestinian aspirations and meets Israel's security needs remains the only viable way forward, and it will be our policy to support such a solution actively. Yeah, I think he, he just gave a, a contradictory answer, basically. He said, I'll be soft, but I'll also be strong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like, some, like, any, like everything he says. Yeah. Uh, just getting back to what you said, I also think, again, on this issue, not in general, but on this issue, I don't think there's that much difference between Warren and Bernie. I don't think really? I, I went to find, uh. on Israel, I went to find Warren to the right of Bernie. I think they're about the same. Uh. But they, they, listen, they talk about it in very different terms. Bernie always will wrap in his common humanity, whereas she li- likes to talk about right and wrong, and we have rules and corruption and this. But within the frameworks of how they speak about issues, I think the actual policy points would be would be the same. Again, in terms of what they're proposing, whether they'll be able to accomplish it or not, that's yeah, different. But that's important. It's like the argument, whatever, the healthcare argument that uh, Bernie supporters say, that her uh, policy is the not uh, w- will not get achieved because she divided it into two and she gave away all kinds of uh, concessions at the beginning and thus yeah. she would not be able to fight for it as hard and uh, for for this longer time to get it achieved right. and, and this is uh, this is an important way to to judge uh, to judge their takes on Israel because Bernie Sanders will not sway on Israel he might not be able to accomplish anything this is sure. this is certainly possible, sure. but he will always stay the course and say this is what should be done. Right. You know, maybe his presidency will be a disaster. Who knows? But Elizabeth Warren, maybe if she would, somebody offers her this and that, so she says, okay, I'll get Wall Street and I'll give you so, something on Israel, so and that's so it. So I can say, if you look at her history and just her work as a senator, she is, she's never done that. She's always stayed strong on her on her opinions on Israel. She hasn't used it to trade to pass some bill through that you wanted to pass through. So I just look at the record and I actually say, no, I think, again, in her, it's consistent with her worldview. She did vote for the budget, the military budget, Trump's military budget. Well, everyone needs to vote for the military budget. No, Bernie Sanders did not vote for the military budget. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, okay, we can go, whatever, Bloomberg, just again. I think Bloomberg is just really interesting because, um, again, you have, if you talk Bernie versus Bloomberg, I mean, if you want to talk about American jewelry and what it's been going okay, through in the okay. past Go for it. 50 years, it's Bernie versus Bloomberg. Contrast of just where American jewelry is at and also uh, just Jewishness as an identity in the United States. Okay. When Joe Lieberman was running, was going to be someone's vice president of Gauls, I think, yeah. he was like, oh my God, he's Jewish. And like, yeah. there was going to be a vice president and like, fine, okay. But now, two viable candidates for president. I mean, one... One of them is very viable. Right, exactly. Uh, and the other one's a billionaire. Um, <laughs> and they both really represent, I think, different sides of American Jewry okay. right now. Go ahead. Um, so, a large part of American Jewry, and again, still the majority, I think, find, find themselves as... Realize that they are... Well, they're, they're the most protected minority in the United States historically. I mean, Jews own slaves, just to be clear. Oh, historically, it... It's on the books. It happened. You can't deny it. Um, they still realize that they are a minority. 
And right. in unique points throughout American history, Jews... Even though they look like the majority. That's right. Jews have used their middle, lateral, step kind of position in, the, in American society mm-hmm. to show solidarity with the lower rungs below them. Yes. Uh, and this goes back to women's votings, the civil rights movement, the anti-war in Vietnam movement, uh, the anti-apartheid in South Africa movement. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Yes, and, on. and, it, and it's rooted in the, the Jewish experience of being a persecuted minority everywhere and Jewish ethos, whatever, going back to the days we were slaves in Egypt. I am very proud to be Jewish, and being Jewish is so much of what I am. Look, my father's family was wiped out by Hitler in the Holocaust. I know about what crazy and radical and extremist politics mean. I learned that lesson as a tiny, tiny child when my mother would take me shopping and we would see people working in stores who had numbers on their arms because they were in Hitler's concentration camp. I am very proud of being Jewish and that is an essential part of who I am as a human being. If there is any people on earth who understands the danger of racism and white nationalism, it is certainly the Jewish people. And if there is any people on earth who should do everything humanly possible to fight against Trump's effort to try to divide us up by the color of our skin or our language, our religion, or where we were born, if there's any group on earth that should be trying to bring people together around a common and progressive agenda, it is the Jewish people. Absolutely, but even on the strongest sense of realization that the Constitution of the United States and in general American democracy mm-hmm. is the strongest safeguard against the horrors seen in Europe and elsewhere around the world against Jews and Both. any minorities. Both. Um, so, and, yeah. and that's why they can feel so strongly about protecting uh, ICE, deporting um, people who just look Mexican, or uh, a Muslim ban, because today it's, a, the, most American Jews still remember that, okay, today it's a Muslim ban, tomorrow it's a Jewish ban. They hear Muslim ban, they, they hear Muslim ban, and they, what they're actually hearing is Jewish ban. They're that, the solidarity of most American Jews is that strong. Or, because again, when it was Jim Crow and this is a black water fountain, this is a white water fountain, they saw yellow stars. Yeah, you know? because also the KKK doesn't like Jews. Right, again, America is a complicated country, be careful of that, because again, Jews fought for the South, Jews owned slaves, yeah, Jewish-African-American yeah. relations are sometimes wonderful and sometimes yeah. not that wonderful. Yeah. But, if, a lot. but like if the right wing wins, then the people who are now pro-Israel, considered, but, but are actually anti-Semitic in many, many ways, if they win, then the Jews know, okay, now they're coming for us. Because people are, are under, most people, most Jews, uh, as you say, alt-right, no, that's, that's scary. The, and I have like an American friend. Right. So I was telling him, hey, man, I was thinking a few years ago, maybe, maybe I would move uh, for a few years to New York. And he was just like shocked. He said, no, you guys have to keep this uh, safe haven in case we have to run. And right. I said, no, I'm running <laughs> yeah. over there. You're not running right. here. Right. So this has been a, a long, like, again, discussion amongst Jews in the United States. But again, I think you see with, you say this, Right wing, so Steve Bannon talks a lot about ethno-nationalism. And I would say that ethno-nationalism is mainstream thought in Israeli society. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's almost seen with a type of resignation of, yeah, that's the world. What are you going to do about it? Because, but, but not to defend anything, sure. just like the political context is different. It's, it's like from out here, you look at uh, the gun debate in America and you say, like, they're all crazy. They're all crazy. But there's a historical uh, social uh, context for that that makes it relevant. Right. It makes it, I don't know, understandable. Right. So here... Sure, sure. But I think when you ask American Jews about this topic, they don't put their trust of survival in ethno-nationalism and will have a Jewish state. Yeah. They put their trust in no... We'll have a liberal democracy yes. with this constitution, ABC, minority rights, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, uh, all these types of things represent uh, 
strong minority rights, protection, representation, yes. etc. Which goes against the official policy of the Netanyahu government for the last 10 years. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is important to say. Most Israelis support, most Jewish Israelis support what most American Jews reject. Yes. So, there's, so like the two communities are very, very far apart and are getting farther apart and it's getting harder to bridge uh, that gap with, you know, tiptoeing and tap dancing uh, on the issues. A- absolutely. As the occupation in Israel has become more brutal and as efforts such as we talked about in the 90s didn't pan out, American Jews become more and more despondent and despaired from Israel. And the most progressive parts of them just don't want anything to do with it anymore. And again, do, do find, you, you, we joked up in the beginning of, uh, about dual nationality, but, um, but the most progressive wings of American Jewry, and I completely understand this, um, are fed up and are, don't want anything to do with Israel anymore because, because they find that they've been tarred with the, uh, this, the same brush as Israel their whole lives as Jews, and that bothers them very much as progressives because they don't like Israel, Israel policies. And that, that, does, that is very, very sad to see. And uh, one scary. of the things I do in, in my work is, is try to figure out how the progressive community in Israel is working from within Israel to change things in our own government. Well, obviously, we're still a minority, but working yeah. to change that. And how the same progressive movement in the United States can support these efforts. Yes. But... It, it, is, it is very, very difficult. And again, you were talking about how almost invisible Palestinians are in this discourse in the United yeah. States. So saying, well, we're progressive Israelis, don't forget about us, is hard when the Palestinians are seeing so little representation. And they're, they're finally seeing some, and you're like saying, well, actually... You know, that is true, but, but I want to push back a little bit. So uh, I think we talked about it. Not... Uh, on the air, yeah. that the way we see it here, you have APAC, center, mostly people will consider them center, even though they're center-right, most people here. You have J Street, which are on the left, the very left end of the spectrum. When you go uh, to... This is where I see it. Yes. Yeah, sure. But then you, you, you talk to some uh, American Jews that are progressive, then they will see J Street on the middle, and, and the left, they would say, is just stop all aid, stop, stop uh, doing anything, and also a lot of support. I don't know, a lot of support, but growing support somewhat, at least with uh, people who have uh, you know, platforms and stuff uh, for BDS and uh, pushing uh, policies that I think are like, a little bit like, like right-wing policies in terms of like there's a vision that things will work out. We don't have to look how we solve the problem and what is the consequences to the problems. We'll just say that there's a right for this. And hence, and because of this, you have to just uh, do everything you can basically to, to do regime, regime change here. Changing the regime from the Israeli government, not having an Israeli government and a Palestinian government, of course, there will be problems with that. We don't have to sugarcoat it. But right. just saying, no, we want to have a different regime here. Right. A dual Israeli-Palestinian regime. You have to reconfigure the government and the army and the police. And just, it's just, it's, it's not uh, feasible in any sort of way. And we'll just destroy everything here and will not further progressive policies in any, any sort of way. And I find that, uh, the, I don't think you agree with me. Uh, I, I find that uh, the lack of, uh, of, of a coherent plan with the progressives on that front, I find it very, very distressing. Very, very distressing. Right. So, first of all, I think without American aid, there is no Israel. So when you talk about, well, prevent the aid, but then they're also talking about big structural changes, prevention of the aid, all of it, if you're talking about all of it, basically means that we no longer have a budget. And the shekel, good luck with that. I'll, I'll move all your money into gold, my friend, uh, if that happens. Bitcoin. Um, so uh, if an American president, and again, with the backing of the American people in Congress, etc., wanted to, they could shake things up here. Yes. So just in terms of, again, I, I understand what you're saying. I, too, I don't think I've seen many coherent people saying, 
And this is how we'll shake things up here, A, B, C, and at the end you get a the federation you were talking about, whatever the solution is. But, I mean, I think there's uh, the, the big thing that American progressives are missing out is that, do, do you know why Howie Truman green, greenlit this entire project? <laughs> okay, why? Oil. Okay. A foothold in the Middle East uh, because it's the 50s and they realized that they need oil. I mean, Hitler lost because he didn't have oil, basically. He was just trying to reach oil in the... And, and the whole world saw that. And as the UK empire and their influences were crumbling, and this gets to Iran, this gets to Saudi Arabia, this gets to the entire American involvement in the United States. They, they in the s- Middle East. In the Middle East, sorry. Um, they saw... Uh, Israel was seen as part of this kind of solution that, that you could have. Yeah, the outpost of democracy. Right, right. In combination with the British promise and... That. Yeah. So, and also, like uh, you can look, people do that. Look at, for, for example, the 1973 war, Yom Kippur war, a very, very big and bloody war here in the Middle East. It's just two pawns fighting against each other in the Cold War. Uh, I think it was Khrushchev by Khrushchev back then, yeah, sure. or whatever, just like pushing the Egyptians to do this and the Syrians do that. They were they had the Soviet military, yeah. we had the American military, we had an, whatever air an air train we call it here yeah. for like American weapons during the war. Basically, it was just like Vietnam, sure, but uh, less bloody, uh, thankfully. Uh, so, yeah. so, so I think once the oil runs out, slash, we're off oil, you're going to see American foreign policy, including Israel in the Middle East, completely and totally change. And be America first, 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 first. That's the moment where if Israel hasn't solved on its own the issue with the Palestinians, yeah. they'll I don't know if they, they keep existing. If they yeah, it will be very, very it's just uh, the situation will deteriorate. This is why yes. another reason that I want, uh, maybe the major reason, obviously the major reason that I want Bernie Sanders to win is because I see here a window of opportunity. So basically we laid out different trends uh, that are going on. Bernie Sanders, so obviously he will be uh, smeared as a self-hating Jew, whatever, but it will not catch on as it did with, you know, the African Obama. It will be harder for people here to hate him. He will have a better starting off point, let's, let's say that. And he's very firm in his understanding and beliefs with regards to the issue and with regard to how much we need change and you need to pressure the political players to to enact those very very radical changes, and if it's somebody else that wins, God helps uh, help us if it's Trump, then just it will be some more meandering, and then the next guy that will come up and win, next person that will come up and win in 2024, 2028, his his or her policies towards Israel would be more isolationist and uh, maybe more ideological, I think, this uh, progressive uh, view on, on Israel, looking at it, uh, basically the only, the only case that I, that I see, just like in black and white terms and not trying to understand history, why things are the way, uh, the way they are, which we can understand in many, many other countries. What brought this situation upon us? This, we don't have to agree with the situation, but why is it the case? And from that, how can we solve it? And I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, it's a very real concern you bring up about if this far-right alignment between Israel and the United States continues, especially in both countries, with, say, Netanyahu and Trump or whatever it is. Um, that's a real danger 10 years in the, from now, 8 years from now. Yeah. But um, the thing you said about Bernie, I would disagree with, is okay. that I think it might even be worse for him and the things they're going to say about him if he really tries to push Israel hard to the negotiation table with the Palestinians. Why and how? Well, I think think we've got a glimpse of this with Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, and we've started seeing bits of it from certain people in American Jewelry on the right or center establishment, where it's... um, they're, they're so, they, they see the world in such an upside-down place. So, uh, I, mean, anti-Israel, I mean, Israel is Judaism. Judaism is Israel. Judaism is not only, is not... Not just a religion. Not just a religion, yeah. but 
ethnicity, whatever, yeah. nationality, whatever. Which then means it conflicts with American nationality, which I don't think it does. Um, and again, most American Jews don't think it does. So once you do that logic twist, um, now being uh, anti-Israel is being anti-Jewish. You call it self-hating Jew, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be much, much, much stronger language. So they're going to call him a Judenrat here in uh, Israeli press. What is Judenrat? Judenrat is the kind of um, internal Jewish police that was uh, that would kind of manage the ghettos uh, during the Holocaust in Europe. So they will basically deputize Jews that pushed other Jews by around. the Nazis. They would, but, yeah, deputized by the Nazis, and they were very controversial. Yeah. They, have, they had privileges, uh, right? Absolutely. So very controversial place in Jewish uh, thought and his, just the history of the Holocaust. Because on the one hand, people ask, "Well, did they have a choice? Did they didn't have? Did they not have a choice?" On the other hand, many of them sent their Jewish brothers yes. to the gas chambers. And but and slash but they used to save their families, their friends, people. Right, know. So absolutely. Actually, they did save other people. Right. So without totally getting into that, it's a very loaded term. If if Israel and Jews and Jews and Israel is the same, oh, and then we're talking about they're going to call him a Judenrat, this very very loaded term from from the Holocaust. And yeah, it's just it's going to be horrible. It's going to be. And horrible. if he runs against Trump. If he wins and he's versus Trump. So on the one hand, you have a person who is supported by Nazis and anti-Semites. But also certain elements of Jewish... Yeah, like 30%, give or take, 5%. Sure, Sheldon Anderson, Ben Shapiro, to name a few people. And on the other hand, you'll have a Jewish person who is everything, as you said, that uh, traditionally Jewish-American community is. Yes. And the Jewish government in Israel will support, if it's, if it's Bibi Netanyahu, will support the guy supported by the Nazis and the anti-Semites. Yes, because again, it's in Netanyahu's interest for this Jews equals Israel equation to be upheld. And it's in Trump's interest for, be, for it to be upheld. It's in the evangelists' interest for it to be upheld. Um, so they're going to see it that way. And probably the mainstream media in the United States would fall for it, hook, line, and sinkle. I mean, Trump especially, we've seen time and time again, really, I mean, I I almost don't blame him because he just doesn't understand the nuance. He doesn't understand. He really just thinks that, yeah, Israel's Jews and Jews are Israel and Jalad should be the envoy because, what do you mean, he's Jewish and it's that Jew country they got. Um, I mean, I really think that's probably what he he thinks about it. For sure. Yeah, According to what we see, how he looks at other ethnicities and races, and according to stuff that he said uh, also about the Jews and about Israel. Yeah, also. sure, yeah. sure. Um, so we, yeah. we we haven't yet touched the the American mainstream media, which is maybe the main reason, or not the main reason, but part of the reason why the discourse around Israel is so shallow uh, in the U.S. because it's uh, like there's. It's just as if there are all, sh- sh- like uh, both sides or all the different sides are shouting talking points at one another. And it's just like you don't, you, you watch an interview, a segment, and, you, and then you don't understand anything. You just don't understand anything. And this is why so many people say that they feel that they don't understand what's going on in Israel. They're like uh, they're um, apprehensive about maybe for like a framing, not a framing, like uh, uh, pushing forward like a strong opinion. Because right. this is so complicated. And I'm like, okay, most people know more about the uh, situation here in uh, Israeli politics than maybe most people know about the, about the politics of Brazil. Sure. But you don't have to be an expert in Brazilian politics to know and to have a firm opinion about Bolsonaro and what he's saying about minorities over there and his climate, uh, climate uh, policies and all that. And I think the same standard should, uh, can and should be applied here. Like, no, you, you understand what's going on. That's you know wishful on. thinking. Bolsonaro doesn't have a multi-million dollar uh, propaganda operation running 24-7 being like the most innovative thing ever called Hasbara. Hasbara. If, if you don't know what that is, just Google it. <laughs> no, no, we'll talk uh, about Hasbara. So, so we have this very secretive, um, it's, this isn't new, but this is like kind of the newest incarnation, this very secretive um, government uh, ministry called the Ministry for Strategic Affairs. Now, their budget is completely secret. I, I mean, Gil and I as Israeli citizens are paying for this, but we don't, we can't tell you exactly how much we're paying and what for. 
But it appears that we're paying for our own little army of uh, Twitter trolls and uh, Facebook bots and uh, all those wonderful things to uh, talk about how Israel needs, wants peace and everything we yeah. do is peace. And how we are a democracy, a great democracy, and while at the same time working against uh, organizations that shall remain, uh, remain nameless, working against the, their abilities to help democracy thrive in Israel. Absolutely, and also pushing extremely hard, whether it's in Europe, whether it's the United States, this idea that Judaism is Israel, Israel is Judaism, which of course will only lead to more anti-Semitism as Israel's policies, rightfully so, become less and less popular all around the world. Jews who absolutely do not agree with these policies and many times are the most outspoken opponents of these policies also suffer the most from these policies. And we've been seeing it time and time again with these unfortunate uh, anti-Semitic attacks in the United States and in Europe and yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, the same guys, same people who are in line with the allies of this right-wing Israeli government. Yes, and, and this is where, again, you were talking about your critique to progressives. I would, I don't share, I don't share many of those critiques, but I do think of one thing is where they need to remember that American Jewry, especially, and really Jews all over the world, almost, most of them are their allies and not their enemies. Yeah. And they might not like Israel, which is completely their right, especially as American citizens, European citizens, wherever you are, you have your right to your own opinion about Israel, absolutely. But um, don't be racist or anti-Semitic towards Jews. I mean, they're completely unrelated. Okay, that's a good... Uh, that's basically what I want to say. Stop being anti-Semitic, <laughs> people. We have too many anti-Semitic listeners. <laughs> Shame. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just uh, stop. Yeah, it's... Uh, it was a long road to get to that point, people. <laughs> people, stop being anti-Semitic. Um, <laughs> cut yeah. it out, cut it out. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It, it, I do think that it is a wedge issue between like Bonnie and Warren and the rest of the camp more than other issues are. And it'll be interesting to see as the campaign picks up if, because uh, I have a feeling that Israel will flare up. Maybe we'll have to relate it to Iran and the Iran deal and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I have a feeling we haven't heard the last about the Middle East and Israel specifically in this campaign. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Thank you, Benji. Thanks, Gio. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Uh, I hope uh, you, find, you found that uh, interesting and insightful. And uh, we'll see you all uh, next time. Bye, Bye. everybody. Go, Bernie.